Today on CyberWork, I talk with Raju Chakuri of NetEnrich about NetOps, SecOps, and CloudOps, his work with new tech and security startups, and why clinging to a five-year plan can be a recipe for disaster. That's all today on CyberWork. Also, I want to tell you about a new hands-on training series called CyberWork Applied. Every week, expert InfoSec instructors and industry practitioners teach you a new cybersecurity skill and show you how that skill applies to real-world scenarios. You'll learn how to carry out different cyber attacks, practice using common cybersecurity tools, follow along with walkthroughs of how major breaches occurred, and more. Best of all, it's free. Go to infosecinstitute.com learn, or check out the link in the description and get started with hands-on training in a fun environment. It's a new way to learn crucial cybersecurity skills and keep the skills you have relevant. That's infosecinstitute.com learn. And now, let's begin the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Raju Chikuri uh, founded Net and Rich in 2004 after a successful IT career as an entrepreneur, visionary, and business leader for the Silicon Valley. He has led the company's growth as SaaS uh, software as a service for digital operations while innovating for AI ops and cybersecurity solutions. Raju is currently the chairman of the board at OpsRamp, a spinoff from NetEnrich. Previously, he uh, founded Velio Communications Inc. and led to its acquisitions by LSI Logic and Rambus in 2003. Raju earned an MBA at St. Mary's College of California and a Bachelor of Technology at Kakatiya University. Uh, so we're going to talk about the whole IT ops constellation today, NetOps, SecOps, CyberOps, and more, uh, as well as Raju's legacy as a startup creator, entrepreneur, and humanitarian, and what el- whatever else strikes our fancy at the moment. Raju, thank you for joining me today on CyberWork. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you for having me, and my pleasure. Uh, a pleasure is all mine. So I want to, uh, you have a, a long and, and storied legacy here. So I, I want to sort of find out where you got interested in cybersecurity first, because it seems like you started out in an initial education in electronics and then finance, and then worked on system designs for semiconductors. So how did that transition to an interest in computers and security? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty broad question here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think um Cybersecurity was, you know, been been seen as something very new kind of a thing about a couple of years, a couple of decades ago, right? But right. You know, as we moved into this whole operations, you know, we 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 pride ourselves in innovating technology and solutions to do the day to run operations. That's our forte, you know, be that be cloud or network uh, and security now. Um, so. The more we deal with our customers, which are you know mid-market enterprise class customers, larger customers, SMBs, a lot of partners. As we talk to them, you know, I've seen uh, for last uh, decade we're kind of looking into it. Last five years, kind of intensified, and and the rest is history. Now it's mainstream. If you have a network, you have a problem. <laughs> Potential yes. problem blooming. If you're using compute, be that being a data center that you think is very private and protected or using cloud, doesn't really matter. You have uh, an exposure. You use software from the best companies in the world or you use IBM or, you know, it doesn't really matter. Tried and tested and enterprise class software, um, you have a problem in cybersecurity. You know, you build your own application, you have holes in there. So I think 
is getting very, very prevalent is for the masses now. It's not for the elite Fortune 100 that we used to think. Right. You know, um, so it's, it's kind of uh, mainstream and we're putting a lot of energy and effort to kind of crack the code and really help our, uh, our, our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, just kind of demand out there is, is huge, um, big problem to solve here. Yeah, so I, I want to sort of talk about that because, you know, this is one of the few, cybersecurity is one of the few industries where we can really sort of still see the origin of it. You know, like if you think about like the auto industry or or certainly finance or whatever, like it just spans, you know, decades or hundreds of years or whatever. But like there's there's like a, a, a start point more or less for cybersecurity. I mean, there's, there's sort of proto variations of it that probably go back to the 70s or whatever. But, you know, it seems like you were there kind of from the beginning. So can you talk about how the cybersecurity landscape has changed since you first got into this business and what the demands were at the time versus you, as you said, now, if you have a network, you've got a problem. I think it's a, a great sort of tent pole to hang this on, but what was it, what was it like when you got started and how, how has it sort of changed and transmogrified since then? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you look at late eighties, you know, um, you had, uh, the transceivers and ethernet and you're creating a little local and using some ultra spark or whatever you had up there, and client servers were kind of coming up that time. So it was kind of more, you know, for productivity within the organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then you, of course, you, you saw ARPANET putting the first phase of internet and then the browsers came and made this internet, you know, um, yeah. accessible to the world, the open web, WWW came up. So they kind of opened and your connectivity increase. And then, um, you know, when it was kind of isolated that way, um, it is, is palatable and you know, easy to kind of control who comes, you know, gets out. You can just throw some devices to kind of um, checkpoint, right? Uh, you, you, who comes in, who goes out, you can manage all that. And then the evolution went from being a gatekeeper to IDS, IPS, and, and looking at the data inline and uh, more network-centric things happen, right? Now, as you evolve that, where all of us are walking with the, you know, that's that's a mainframe computer yeah. right right yeah and it's got you know 100x more applications than mainframe used to have mm-hmm. so you're accessing data it's not someone coming in coming going out right everyone's right. observing your privacy uh, where you are who's watching you you know you know it's kind of um you don't know what's coming what's going on who's coming into there's so many attack services now yeah who's sitting in that attack surface is a multitude, uh, you know, you know, hundred X or you know, thousand mm-hmm. X, right? So, um, and then the youngsters that you know, they they, they don't really care. You know, you ask them, they got they paid through any payment system. Yeah, it's just a tool. It's a tool for them, and and maybe that's the right thing to do to evolve as part of the evolution there. But you know, as IT professionals, as quote unquote experts, to keep all this sane uh, and manageable. Um, um, we have to step up um, yeah. with, with this transformation, keep up with how you run this stuff and make sure. And you can't be just kind of control freak. You can't be risk and compliance and protecting yep. the job or no one's going to get fired. It has to come genuinely by design, by plan that, hey, you know what, this is a big issue. How do we resolve it? Let's resolve even if it's a small piece. Get going. Don't yeah. try to boil the ocean, you know, because it could, it will look like as if you're boiling the ocean. You look at the tools, right? You know, right. most of the tools are for Fortune 500,000. You look at a million dollars here, a million dollars, and I don't want to do that. I'm going to use some open source tool, blah, 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 or outsource. Right. 
But I think um, uh, the security has to become mainstream of operations. It's not working in silos, right? So that's the evolution right. that we has gotten into and it's getting complex and you don't have the skills to make all this work. Yeah. Or you have the budgets and revenues to put so much energy into it, but you've got to get someone else to solve it. So to to, to that end, um, you know, obviously uh, just the the sort of exponential size of the sort of available places to protect, as you said, has, has, has grown a hundredfold. So is there, is there something different in terms of obviously the, the complexity is, is, is larger, but are we, are we sort of having to use different solutions now than we did back when, uh, you know, there were less places to protect? Has it changed the sort of, uh, I don't know if the ideology is right, but the sort of like the methodology, has that changed or is it, or is it mostly the scope of it? Yeah. You know, I think it, um, there's three pieces to, to this from my perspective, right? Um, and I'm not the world's big cybersecurity expert, but more from <laughs> living in the operations world, seeing thousands sure. of customers out there. We'll jump to that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I met a lot of CIOs. No, I feel like, um, um, is, one is a philosophical approach. You know, do you want to arrest this problem? Do you want to contain this problem? Do you want to get it going? Number one. Number two, basic hygiene in terms of, you know, what do you do on a daily basis to stay secure, right? The kinds of code you're writing and spinning it off in the cloud and the quality checks you do, the security checks you do to just by design thinking in cybersecurity. That's more of a process and philosophy. Then, of course, you know, uh, how do you prevent issues when things are happening? How do you look at attack surface that you may be attacked on? Or how you, you know, resolve issues when things happen? That's the tooling and people and processes and how much deep you want to go, how much. It all depends on where your digital assets are, you know, you know what you're trying to do. So all three has to be kind of um, worked on um, and, and get a grip around that. Okay, so um, I, I want to pivot from that a little bit to your uh, your company, Netenrich. Uh, so the biggest part of your cybersecurity career, obviously, is the 17 years that you've spent as president and CEO of of this company, which provides services for NetOps, SecOps, CloudOps, and more. Uh, so considering that your company is nearly two decades old, and a lot of the conversation around these concepts is maybe newer than that, I'm, I'd like to n- know a little bit about how the goals and services of the company have evolved over the years. Like what sorts of problems were you providing solutions to in 2003 and how, if at all, does that differ from the solutions and uh, services that you handle now? Yeah. So um, over the last uh, 16 plus years, uh, we, we had a, I would say about, you know, three evolutions. Um, the first chunk of thing was um, we wanted to kind of build a company around a run piece of it, operations piece of it, not necessarily CapEx, more of an OpEx piece because those days, you know, 20% of your IT budget was mostly CapEx, 80% was operations kind of running. You buy some bunch of compute and software and try to make it work. You had a bunch of people to kind of run pieces, a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of automate and kind of make that all done remotely. And, right. you know, um, just like if you can imagine a, a cloud of people outside solving your operations, then having your own uh, people sitting in a building and creating your own knock and solving problems. That was the whole idea. So we built a, an appliance for remote access and a gateway to kind of really, and then we sassified all that. And, we, you know, and that, that was to kind of really operationalize more efficiently and bring 20, 30, 40, 50 productivity and more secure way of doing it. But that was yeah. the first four, five, six years. And then um, luck would have it that 
um, instead of platforming where you got to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to kind of get out and brand yourself and scale and all, we decided to go the other, which is more harder way to kind of bootstrap way. So we were kind of in some sense driven into driving operational outcomes. And we were, we were mm. lucky to have this platform to bring to bear and do it a little transformatively, a little different than most people would do. Right. We spent another um, um, few years, five, six years, some kind of really honing our expertise, our shared services, our remote stuff, our automation, so we can bring 20, 30%, 40% efficiencies to our enterprise and mid-market enterprise clients and some SMEs through partners and all. So that was the third piece is where we are, we have evolved is to kind of more uh, outcomes, more data-driven stuff. So we built a, you know, um, a digital, uh, I would call it big data platform in Elastic with ingests um, data and at wire speed and contextualizes it and 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 then around network content around cloud content be that we Azure AWS or data center around security movement and acquisition that we funded about three years ago a fantastic team a company called Threat Landscape that a massive data platform um, so we kind of build that together so we are in the convergence of all this data coming in. And we want to kind of contextualize all that and eke out inside so we can resolve issues. And our view is um, no matter what you do in IT, you can give all taglines. End of the day, you have to resolve it. Okay. You resolve issues yep. in a peacetime environment or you got to resolve issues in a wartime environment. But you're resolving <laughs> right. issues, right? So we want sure. to be sitting and we want to be known as the number one resolution company, someone who's kind of put out this message out there, drive that agenda. So um, data-driven resolution is where we are now. Okay. So that's the evolution we kind of go on through. So as part of this evolution, as we were very centered on networking and, and cloud, it made a lot of sense to look at cybersecurity about four or five years ago. Then we made an investment, we acquired, we merged them together. So cybersecurity completes our story. You want to run cybersecurity in the context of network, you want to run cybersecurity in the context of Cloud, you can't run cybersecurity in isolation, right? Yes. So that's where we are now. Okay. So I want to uh, sort of repeat a quote back to you. In our pre-show briefings, uh, uh, the information I got, you, you said, uh, when it comes to ensuring security, most organizations focus on governance instead of doing it right. Uh, is that something you could you explain that to me further? You know, there's a lot of case studies uh, and plenty of mountains of anecdotal stories about organizations that that follow this or that set of rules, the letter of the law, without actually sort of improving their security in the process. So, so tell me a little bit about what you mean by going beyond governance and into doing it right. Yeah, I think it comes from um, some of the genesis and the evolution stuff. Where you know, if you if you, if you remember when we were running networks and systems and all. Cybersecurity was, you know, someone with some PhD or someone who was a risk and compliance person to look at intrusion and all. So it's always a offhand risk compliance kind of a thing so that the CEO doesn't get fired and the CFO doesn't get fired. It was kind of you know, separated from, you had, you had a CISO, right? A cybersecurity officer and it was different from CIO and it was more of, governance model. Are you guys doing the right thing? Did you deploy this tool? What's our risk profile? What's our yeah. attack surface? So looking outside in kind of an environment in many cases. Right. Um, and also kind of a checklist, basically. You're just like, just check the things off. and Yeah. yeah. 
you know, the, the scary part is don't tell me how bad I am because if I know it, I better fix it. Otherwise, I'll liability issue. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I don't want to know. Yeah. Head yeah, in. That, yeah. That mindset still, still continues in many cases. You know, I don't blame them, but that's how, you know, habits are hard to break. Right. And, yeah. and that's the world we used to live in. Um, and that's what we run into many places, you know, um, oh, I outsource it. I give it to someone. No, I have this tool. that's am fine. Um, yeah. but I'm sure they really know what they do and they're doing. Yeah. Exactly. I got it. <laughs> I know more than you do. Uh, not invented right. syndrome. Some of those things, because they're kind of worried, right? It's a big liability issue for them and they want to yep. control the situation, which is fine. You got to do it. But I, I feel like I, I think that whole industry has to kind of open up and get ahead of the game and not behind the eight ball. Compliance yep. is necessary. It is sometimes after the fact. Mm-hmm. You, what are you doing on a daily basis? Like what you saw with solar winds, right? Mm-hmm. Thousands of people out there, government offices and all, they all thought they were compliant. They all yeah. thought there is going to be Yeah, we, we filled out the form. Yeah. <laughs> and there's an enterprise software. Mm-hmm. The same people are saying, hey, no, 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 I, I can't go to cloud because it's not secure. I want to be enterprise. I want to control in my own data center. Right. Look at what happened, right? So you never know what hits you. So I think if you're more open-minded and more design-centric and by design solving cybersecurity in the context of network and security, cyber, you know, compute and applications and all, I think as an industry, we'll protect ourselves a lot better. Uh, that's my view. Yeah. So that that leads perfectly to my next question here. Uh, you know, we were, you were saying that, you know, in certain cases, the CISO or the C-suite will say, I don't want to know how how insecure I am. Don't tell me about it. Just take care of the problem or whatever. But, um, you know, when you're, uh, you know, there's there's so many processes around that are aimed at improving safety or efficiency or, or even business growth, you know, within digital IT apps. You know, it sounds appealing to the C-suite uh, as something to adopt or step up to, but often fail, falls into a gap where it's implemented by half measures or haphazardly because it might require retrofitting your entire, you know, security department, at, you know, at the very least, or your even your way of doing business. So, um, what types of strategies have you found work best in stepping up your IT app strategy without falling behind on your business schedule? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, um, one of the things that we do in our own business, I, I could be, is very apt for some teams to deploy, and maybe they're doing it, right? And I, I'm not the judge here to they're doing it or not. But I think what would really help is the whole agility and, and uh, scrumming mm-hmm. um, to solve the cybersecurity. What I mean by that is you know, you're going to have small teams um, of cybersecurity experts, the network guys, the risk guys, the governance guys, and the leadership to kind of come together and, and, and start looking at solving these problems on a daily basis and, and be more agile and a more inclusive way, mm-hmm. not more isolated in a siloed way. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what happens is in doing so, you're getting my network guy to be more cybersecurity sensitive. Yes. My application guy who's deploying applications as a DevOps guy or something, he's more cybersecurity sensitive. So you, you, you're, you're creating the IQ, you're raising the IQ, a cybersecurity IQ for the entire organization yep. on a daily basis. And everyone's learning, you're better off and doing by design. If you isolate, you know, hey, make sure that your you know network is all controlled and go put some IPS, IPS devices, put some firewalls. And it's not one event. It's not like a balance sheet. It's like an income statement. It has to be looking on a daily basis, right? You've got to improvise on a daily basis. And I feel that if you run Scrum together, 
um, uh, to make this work. Uh, I think people are smart, you know, you know, engineers and a lot of the IT guys are unbelievably smart. Yeah. The leadership is smart, but I think there's a process, the, 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 the past that comes and haunts the present or doesn't allow you to go to the future. So the more agility, more scrum, the desire to embrace change and get it going yeah. sooner than later and not try to boil the ocean. Yeah, and that's work. yeah, that's that, that that's an interesting thing because I think do you, I mean do you see a lot of that sort of siloing because uh, you know I, I get that sense that uh, to to collaborate means to have to learn to new learn a new thing and and for a lot of people it's like it's hard enough just to keep up with whatever they're doing now without having to sort of up their security game and stuff like that. Have you seen that as a problem? And do you have any any thoughts on sort of? not just changing the process, but changing the minds of the people who, who need to sort of like adopt this, this wider view. Yeah. I think it was so easy. Everyone will be doing it. Right. Is, is, yeah. is, 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 <laughs> I keep asking and no one ever quite has the, the definitive yeah. answer. So we'll just keep asking it. Yeah. It's, it's more deeply rooted in your traditional <clears throat> brick and mortar corporate America. Right. Partly because, you know, they're under the water. There are a lot of things going on. They are competing in the new age of, you know, everything on the web. Um, they don't have resources. And, you know, it's a business issue, too. They get measured differently. You know, that there were days where it was norm. We walk into CI and ask him, what is your budget for IT? You know, based on the industry, they say, Gartner said we should be 2% of my revenue. Someone said, Gartner said 3% of my revenues, right? Mm-hmm. But those days are gone. You know, now, you know, people are spending 8, 9, 10, 12% because IT is your business. Right. Right. So um, it, 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 that is, uh, and then there's a, um, the haves and have-nots. Um, the, the digital have-nots are your classic, you know, brick-and-mortar enterprises because they're constrained. You know, if you're, if you're not generating earnings per share, I'm not going to give you value. In other places, you lose more money, become a unicorn. So, you know, you know, there are two ways of judging who's doing well. So there are some resource constraints, there's money constraints. So, but at the same time, corporate America has to go compete with all those guys. And IT has to be a big investment or at least an efficient investment, not right. a big investment. So once that gets sorted out, it's a mindset game. I think you can kind of step up because people are smart. Putting them together, they can do it. I don't think it's the skill... Uh, learning ability, you know, and, and at least in the U.S., that our most of our customers are real phenomenal people here. Yeah, phenomenal engineers, right? I mean, the smartest of the world is here, right? So it's about it's about, cha- it's about changing the the sort of enthusiasm, the mindset, the priority, yeah. mm-hmm. where you put, how do you engage him, right? That's the thing, and I think we're the best in the world, and um, I feel like we can get it done. It's just kind of mindset. Yeah, I mean, uh, have you seen any sort of successful cases of of places where there was a lot of resistance and then you were able to sort of get that sort of sea change within the company? Yeah, yeah. I think we have um, um, a couple of customers. Yeah, yeah I remember, um, I hope I'm not getting into trouble here by naming them, um, but um, we've been working, we've been fortunate enough to work with a company called Car Auction Services mm-hmm. almost for a decade. And we've seen the evolution. Oh my God, you know, they're as good as it gets. Wow. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, these guys were your classic brick and mortar enterprise company through acquisitions out of Indiana. Great group of people. We are fortunate enough to kind of get involved with those guys um, almost eight, nine years ago. We're doing their network management, brought a lot of efficiencies for us to know and things of the sort. 
But then you can see the whole company transform from that, you know, 300 locations, acquiring a bunch of companies, running, you know, car auctions and things. So it's growing fast, you know, they're getting great valuation to morphing to a digital company now. The leadership has done a phenomenal job, you know, the CIO to strategy folks to, you know, the guys who run their applications, um, uh, you know, these are the guys, you know, uh, with the mindset, they have this agility and scrum uh, software development mindset. They see themselves as digital company, right? Um, so we've seen that. We've seen a few other customers like that. So we've been fortunate working with them for a long time. Um, so we're very excited to see more. Hopefully, you know, but that's probably 1% of corporate America. There's mm-hmm. a lot to be done for many people. You know, if right. you get the right people, you'll get it done. Um, yeah, you know, we, get, we partner with them. We we do the best we can to help them out get there. Um, but you know, I've seen some good changes out there. A lot of examples like that. I love it. Uh, so um, I want to talk to you sort of an, about another aspect of your life. You describe yourself as someone who quote accelerates successful startups into market leading companies. Uh, can you tell me about your your process uh, of this? What are some of the most common things that startups are lacking that you can provide? Yeah, um, it's again a very, very broad question, and there's mm-hmm. no one way of um, skinning the cat. There are many ways, and many, many, many of them a lot more successful than what I have done so far. But you know, from from my vantage point, there's a couple of things. One is is the team. Um, is the early team you put together um, is very important. You got to be aligned. You got to be resilient. You got to be resilient from um, um, your your learning ability to change, you know, every six months, a year, there's a technology debt, no matter what you do, right? Yeah, for sure. Things are changing so fast, you're resilient against um, um, uh, competition, how you do, you got to stay in power to stay. So you got to be very conservative in the beginning to get the first um, minimal viable product done right, right? It has to be, you know, we got to constantly look at product market fit, uh, early stages. If we don't get the product market fit, um, you know, rest falls apart. So the right team to get the product market fit and being resilient about it and scrumming the heck out of it in a daily and incremental progress is probably the, the single most thing. And you can do that with the least amount of money. You can pay yourself two, three hundred thousand dollars so you don't get paid and make that stupid thing work. Yes. And get the customer as, as quickly as you can. Most of the people are worried about printing of the presentations, working five-year plan. It's all bullshit. Every fire plan never works. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's 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 gonna go up in flames yeah. in a year anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and it's an in thing. You read up an article, I'm gonna go to Sequoia, I'm gonna go to Redpoint, I'm gonna go to IVP, I'm gonna go to benchmark, I'm gonna go to this guy, that guy. But if you don't get the market product fit done right first with, re- with resiliency and staying power, month two, three, four, five, six, and sacrificing, your priorities becoming different because now you're trying to pretty up a presentation or tell some story into a fire plan, which you don't even know who's going to buy first. Right. You're busy raising money and you're looking for some yeah. connection, some introduction. Hey, yeah, you're, you're, you're looking, looking too many steps ahead, I imagine, right? Steps ahead, yeah. So, and it becomes very difficult. It doesn't really matter. People think, oh, I want to go get an angel money, quarter million to half a million from someone like me. Or they want to go get eight, nine, ten million dollars. You know, a million to two was the early stage fund in eighties and nineties, right? Yeah. Now they don't talk to you. They want to put 10, 20 million dollars to to work because they got big funds. But right. then 
doesn't mean that an angel guy is going to give you some funding if there's no product market fit. Yeah, you can't say you're my buddy, give me some money, right? Yeah, May, some might, some might do that, and but but most of the guys, you and I, don't have the chance, right? You need to be related to someone big, you are connected yep. to someone big, but you got to get that thing done right, or two or three teams very aligned, and 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 it gets difficult because in the beginning, um, it's like you know you know the map when you look at the map, uh, is totally different than when you put your foot on the terrain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing as a startup. You and I and a few other guys can come together. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go fun. We've been buddies. We're in the same school. What all the stuff? We like. I'm a PhD at this. I'm putting something together. Um, um, but then you know, when rubber meets the road, the terrain is different. Yeah. And you have to be very careful on that. That's one big piece. Um, product market fit, and uh, and then also you want to pursue. Um, you know, at least from my standpoint, pursue something that could be big because your risk goes down. And of course, execution becomes a difficult thing too, but within a big environment, you can pick pieces of it. For example, when I did the previous company, um, we had phenomenal guys. We had um, a professor from Stanford, Bill Daly, who was an, who was an NVIDIA's chief scientist now, we had like 16 PhDs from Stanford to MITs to Caltechs of the world. We raised a bunch of money from Sequoia. We were trying to do something massive in terms of communication protocols, in terms of moving bandwidth. Yeah. Getting, uh, but very niche. For us to succeed, I had to get the damn thing working. Then I had to get an OEM like Cisco working. They had to get an AT&T, you know, some telecom guy working. So that you need to have a staying power. So we got the chip done. But the venture guys get tired after four or five years. Yeah. And as you raise more money, the first guy who came in gets tired because he wants to see some results. He doesn't he have much to say. Yeah. Right. So structuring the right company is very, very, very important. Who you get your money from yep. and how long does the money last? If you don't plan that right, raising $10 million, first round, you open a champagne, you celebrate high five, <laughs> which I did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Um, it, it's, it's good and bad. It, it, you know. So you got to yeah. get the product market fit. And structure it right from the right. Once you get that, you know, it becomes easy. And there are a lot of great VCs, mm-hmm. nominal people now, more so now than it used to be. Right before now, you get so much money out there, a lot of talent out there. They can help you, but you gotta get the product market fit first, or right. getting close to it. Get some feedback. One or two customers looking at it, they can buy. Why they buy, and what is it going to change? How is it going to change their life? And then you're going to finance it properly. If you don't finance, it's going to come and bite you. No matter the great ideas have evaporated, and there's some dumb ideas that done well because they organize it well. Right. Okay, that's a good point. Um, now I, you've partially answered this already, I think. But uh, to, to be more specific about it, like if someone comes to you looking for assistance and they show you their their business plan or whatever, what are some things? that you want to see in that business plan that makes you feel like, you know, obviously anything's possible. What, what, what do you, what do you need to see in there to say, Oh, they, they, they have their head in the right place. They, they, they seem like they're, they're serious about this and they're not just like you said, chasing a, a bunch of angel money. Yeah. So, so my primary way is, um, uh, number, number one is the team, um, mm-hmm. who's done what and who's building this and why are they building this? What is the inspiration behind it? That's the first cut kind of thing. Number one, Right. And see what progress they've made or what progress they're going to make and everything. And then the num- and, and the numbers are all assumptions. It's a spreadsheet. You know, if you're, are you looking at unit economics? You know, did you close a deal or two? What are they saying? Why are they closed it? You know, 
the, the basic um, numbers, you can look at that. And I don't look at five-year plan. Don't tell me I'm going to do a billion-dollar company. I don't really care. Let's talk about how do you get a million dollars worth of stuff. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. If you get the thing done, the chances of getting a billion is going to be much higher. So people focus on, hey, you know, I got this math. I'm going to get the thousands of these widgets. I've done it. My cost of goods sold is this much. My operating model looks like this. I get all that stuff, right? Now, so don't compare yourself to a mature operating company where you have various ratios and operating models. I would rather um, look at, let's get rooted now. What do you have? Who is wanting it? Why? What value it solves? Can they test it? If I, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be working in some cases. If I solve this problem for you, what value do you want to get from this? And how much are you willing to pay? Or do you have an alternate ways of solving this problem? If it is, why are you not solving, right? And I can do it a little better. If that's my, I would say 80%, the rest, the rest we can help them out. That's, there's so many smart people to help you out. Right. Let's get that first, right? Um, so, so that's my view of looking at investing. That's how we did with um, the threat landscape company, right? These okay. guys are looking at something. They build a data platform. Great, great data science guys. Uh, good team of ten folks. Um, we said, you know what? Let's go look at it. Talk to me a little bit about what you're trying to do. Why are you doing this? How are you going to put data to this? There are a lot of people out there. So we, once we got in, we gave them seed funding. We helped them out. A million or two later, you know, it made sense for us to come together and, and we build. So we look out for you know, data science folks, cloud folks, um, you know, who really want to get the product market fit. There's a passion behind it, and they want to build something big. Um, so you know, when you meet people, you can see through that, you know, it's a people game. End of the day, it's a people game. You can say all AI and ML and NLP and bots and this and that. Without people, you can't implement all the crap. Yeah. Now, uh, you've obviously, you know, apart from your your actual, you know, your your CEO, your position, your company, uh, like there, I, I get the sense from you, obviously, based on the fact that you're um, helping out these these startup companies and stuff that, you know, it's it's very refreshing. You know, sometimes it's easy enough to just just do your job and move. But uh, I want to talk to you about sort of the role of veteran cybersecurity or tech professionals uh, and what what role they might be able to take in helping aspiring new security professionals or startups enter the industry. You know, we talk, we hear a lot about the cybersecurity skills gap, that there's more, more positions to be filled than there are people to do them. And, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, uh, villains or solutions coming from HR, from security departments, from the tech sector. Do you have any advice to security veterans uh, for providing direct action or by example, that could tamp down the talent shortage? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the only advice I would have, if I have one, is um, no matter what you do in cybersecurity because of your passion, your learning, you're putting energy to kind of grasp new concepts and things like that. But I feel that, you know, it's always good to contextualize yourself to um, either a given domain, a vertical domain, you know, if you're in healthcare, see what do you want to do there, kind of a thing, the rules and regulations and things of that sort to live in that world. But more importantly, from a technology standpoint, contextualize yourself um, from a network side. Because if you plug network off, there's no cybersecurity, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? So if you don't get the network concepts and context understood well, um, you won't be the greatest practitioner. So that's number one. Now, you can make an assumption that I don't really need to do, I want to be more on the application side. So you need to really 
conditionalize yourself to all the cloud technologies, right? Um, um, and then where can security happen? So I think adding that breadth to yourself um, um, from a cybersecurity standpoint, you would better become a better practitioner mm-hmm. and be more valuable to yourself and others around you who want your skills to be used, right? So that's probably the only advice for practitioners from my standpoint. But contextualize yourself beyond cybersecurity, right? You know, magic happens when two things come together. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of the innovations come when a physicist worked on some biochemistry stuff, a biochemist stuff worked on something else, you know. When you have that um, two things coming together, um, there's a lot could be done. So yeah. visualizing is important. Uh, so you also describe yourself in, in your bio as an entrepreneur and humanitarian. Can you tell me about some of your activities in this area? Um, you know, um, there's, this, there's two pieces. Um, I wouldn't call it uh, humanitarian. <laughs> okay. I, haven't done, I haven't done much on that uh, other than kind of uh, we as a company kind of support roughly 200 young kids, um, 7 to 14, and a few orphanages. Um, we've been doing it for almost since the beginning. We had a we we had a rule that every employee had to kind of really um, donate on a yearly basis, and I would match. And you know, we've been doing it for almost 15, 16 years now. That's great. Made some great impact there, but nothing nothing big to write home about or talk about much. Um, that's one piece. But more importantly, I'm on a pretty big high uh, where I am today now in terms of um, a culture. And um, as an entrepreneur, when you're young, you know, you know, I call it Silicon Valley cowboy culture, right? You know, you're yeah. ambitious, you have testosterone, your hormones. Right. Sequoia puts Ca- money. Conquer the world. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two term sheets <laughs> in a day and you know, i got the best guys, this and that, and let's go. And when you do that, it's great, right? It's great yeah. confidence and you can attract talent. But the, the sad part is um, if things go wrong, you're not able to handle that. And things will always go wrong given a time, right? Everyone, right? So the resiliency doesn't seep in um, in the early stages of life, right? As you get, so, so I, I, I think uh, I'm, we're driving a lot around culture. Mm-hmm. Um, culture of um, doing things by design, right? Yes. Culture of keeping people accountable. Culture of getting people to kind of give experience. So if I give you the best experience and a big smile, your energy towards me is a little different than others being, you know, just stiff and you know, yes and no answers, right? So that that belief system, you know, if I give a good experience, you give me, you know, your beliefs changes that hey, this guy's a decent guy to talk to, and I'm going to have fun doing this this interview, right? right? Right. When the belief system happens, magic happens because you take the right actions. Because I'm not yes, yeah. no, yes, something and all, right? So that the accountability, the experience that drives belief system, that drives uh, actions, that produces results, is a big thing for us. So we want to kind of groom. Um, and then that, and the basic concept is everyone in our company is a leader. Mm-hmm. There's no manager. Right. There's no MBOs, right? We do some OKRs and our own version of OKRs and things of the sort. So that whole culture becomes significant. Um, and I hope, and I, I, I wish I knew this stuff early in the, in, in the career, right? You know, I work with the best in the world at Sequoia and other places. And I thought I knew from an operating standpoint as a CEO what it could do and founder. And I had a lot of energy and passion to do what needs to be done, build a great team. But I wish I had um, exposure to culture in terms of, um, I, I thought innovation was the only culture. Right, right. 
I was influenced that way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, innovation, a sustainable innovation, right? mm. resiliency, mm-hmm. and having fun and enjoying the journey as much as the destiny. Right. Uh, otherwise, you keep probably, oh, let's be a billion dollar company, and you keep talking about it, you're drinking your own Kool Aid, and mm-hmm. you do wrong things. And, right, and, uh, right. and I did that. I did all, I learned a lot from that, and I did that. And um, so, so I think culture becomes a big issue, and I, I think I'm pretty high on that. Um, and we're working hard. We're not there yet. Um, hopefully, yeah. we get that thing good, and hopefully, everyone else does the same. That's great. Uh, so, I want to, um, as we wrap up today, um, uh, let's let's talk about a bit about your company. You talked a bit at the beginning of the show, but tell us more about what Net Enrich does, and specifically some projects or products that you're working on right now that you're really excited about. Yeah. So. Um, uh, three, four buckets here. One is uh, what we do for a living is we are essentially uh, very focused on the run piece of your operations because that's the biggest chunk of your problems, user experience, things not working, things are not being done right, the biggest piece of spend, and particularly corporate America. I'm not talking about helping Googles of the world and LinkedIn's and Facebooks of the world. They do their world, but Corporate America is our focus, mid-market to anywhere from $100-$200 million revenue to $4, $5, $6 billion is our target market across North America and some in Europe. Uh, we want to walk in there and really, as they are digitally transforming, um, as digital transformers becomes digital mandate, um, what can they do or what should they be doing in terms of digital operations transformation so they don't, they're not running the race with shackles on. You want to free them up from a digital operations transformation. So that's our, our forte, our high, our investments, our know-how, scars on the back, experiences and customer base. So we bring um, a big data platform, integrations, you know, uh, AI, ML stuff into it, people expertise all combined together in a unique way man-machine interface coming together, contextualizing for your environment yep. and making sure we run that in the most efficient way, bring 30, 40, 50, 60% savings, depending on where you are in your journey, right? Some are a little advanced, some are very naive about it. Depending on where you are, we can bring substantial savings. That's where what we do. So we can free, you can free up the resources, free up um, right. um, the, the spend you have and kind of really focus on growth. And innovate, right? You have three buckets, right? Mm-hmm. You have your run piece, which if you take up 80% of your spend, you hardly have anything for growing. And if you put the remaining 20, you're not innovating anything. So you want to kind of shrink the run piece to 30% of what you need to do from IT standpoint, leave 70%. And if you look at SaaS companies and digital first companies, they are, you know, the run will be 20, 30% of it. They're spending 70% growth and you know, innovation is you know, completely tilted upside down, right? right? So we want to bring that change, the cloud mindset, the SRE mindset, the DevOps mindset, the cybersecurity mindset, ASI mindset, all that to your classic mid-market enterprises who okay. have to compete in this aggressive, you know, digital mandate world. So that's what we do. And we have hundreds of engineers building platform, automation, integrations, and all. We've got hundreds of guys in the operations running 24%, 365 run, uh, bring them together. Um, we believe it's more of a, you're federating functional sourcing and you're getting it done remotely. Um, so, so we kind of sit between do-it-yourself world 
Yeah. And you know, I don't know want to do. I don't. I don't want to do it. It's not efficient. Someone told me to outsource. The board wants me to cut the cost. The PE guys wants to cut the cost. I'm going to give it to some guy. He's going to give me some cheap labor. That's outsourcing. Right. We want to be more closer to do it yourself because you want to be in control. Otherwise, you won't innovate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you know. So we want to be there and and help them innovate and make it digital first and be more efficient, like in outsourcing on a cost standpoint but more innovative and resilient in terms of scale standpoint. So we are functional um, sourcing kind of a thing um, with a lot of point of views, a lot of technology, a lot of ready to go. Um, right. you know, we, can, we can onboard people in a week or two and see, start seeing the results in a month, not six months transition, a year later, and a five-year yep. deal. We want to be more sassified way of running operations. So you're consuming yep. it a SaaS solution from us. So that's where we're in operation space, in, in oper- operation space, in network, cybersecurity, and cloud, r- doing the runtime operations in a remote way, in a shared services uh, for our customer base. Okay, one last question. Uh, if our listeners want to learn more about Raju Chakuri or Net and Rich, where can they go online? Yeah, it's um, www.netenrich.com, N-E-T-E-N-R-I-C-H.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of good content there. And we're going to keep doing, uh, working on it. And then I think for cybersecurity practitioners, you know, which is, you know, Chris, your forte. Right. We have something called no.com, K-N-O-W.com. Okay. If you come to our website, you can go, it's free. Mm-hmm. You, we spend a lot of money um, through our technology to aggregate some 25, 30 sheets around the world mm-hmm. to show you what the heck is going on in the cybersecurity world. Thanks. Um, look at it, learn from it, give us some feedback. Uh, so that as, as a whole, that's our contribution, the best we could uh, to kind of bring awareness to anyone for free. Yep. And um, it also helps us kind of interact with uh, some great practitioners out there so we can right. learn from them as well. Yeah. And then one thing leads to another one. Hopefully we, we end up doing some business down the road. But that's for free. Uh, come to our website, www.netenrich.com and check out No. Uh, a bunch of stuff there and enjoy and give us some feedback. And I'm sure we're not perfect, but um, we're getting there. We're working hard towards that. It sounds sounds like you're doing everything you doing everything right here. So Raju, thank you so much for being my guest today. Sure. Uh, thanks, Chris, for having me and uh, enjoy the conversation. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, thank thank you all as ever for listening and watching. For those of you who are with us today, uh, new episodes of the Cyberwork Podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. You can also find them at infosecinstitute.com slash podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our hands-on training series, Cyberwork Applied. Each week, in, in, expert InfoSec instructors teach you a new cybersecurity skill and show you how that skill applies to real-world scenarios. And it's free. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash learn to stay up to date on all things cyberwork. Thank you once again to Raju Chakuri and Netanrich, and thank you all again for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get ebooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for cyber work listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.